Nation Nail Salon and Grocery Store. Wait, she's at the nail salon and the grocery store? I'm at the Combination Nail Salon and Grocery Store. Groceries through Instacart, delivered to my door. I don't have to choose between acrylics and the grocery store. Blog Talk Radio. People in the world, what's going on? Sadie Cats are coming live from where are we today? We are coming live from Marina Del Rey. I don't know how I feel about deep water, but we're coming live from Marina Del Rey. Actually, the porch of a friend of mine's house down here, or condo, whatever they call this place, kind of big. But you know, I said I want to do something from a different locale, but here we are, what it is, people. Hope you guys are doing all right out there in the world. Got a lot of emails we need to get to. We were going to do 35 minutes, but then what? Ha- 30 minutes, but then what happened? We got to we got about what is the count here? 90 email questions and a few texts regarding our show today in reference to why I decided to do the Once Upon a Time in the Congo film. How you guys doing out there? How you ladies doing out there in the world? Hope everything's flowing and grooving and you're pursuing your dreams, pursuing your passions, doing what you need to do, doing what you want to do. Listen, up, don't listen to the people that are trying to talk you out of what you want to do. As long as you're not working on a pole or on a corner, everything is cool. But hey, if you got to make that tuition, I understand what you got to do. But listen, you have your passion, you have your calling, you know what you want to do, you know what you need to do. Sometimes we try to find advice, just hoping that someone will talk up out of it. But why do you want to listen to somebody or a group of people that have never pursued their own dreams, all right? They have nothing at stake. You do. What it is, your destiny, your legacy, and let's get right to it, people. All right, today's groove. Um, a, a lot of people have been inquiring over the last couple of months regarding my arm. Yes, my arm is getting better. I hope there's no more surgery on it. We've had three. I feel like the $6 million man. I feel like hardware out of Milestone Comics. I feel like Iron Man before you had the thing removed from his chest. I feel like Cyborg 
you know, without the uh, silver. They never make black armor that matches the complexion. Misty Knight, Cyborg, Deathlock. But that's another show we have to do, right? Anyways, in this show, I'm going to co- cover a couple of questions regarding the movies. Hopefully, I can give you all some knowledge about the Hollywood game, the film business games, and, you know, and hopefully I can, you know, pray like inspire you to pursue your own dreams. Or if you're pursuing your dreams, you have your challenges, I can give you some knowledge that will keep you going because it's not easy. It's, it's very difficult, particularly when you have a vision that uh, others don't see. And you're really hoping for support from people that uh, that isn't really forthcoming. You know, so those moments when you're by yourself with the candlelight in the dark and you're like, oh, my God, did I make the right decision? You know, so let's get right to it here. Uh, let's see here. Get these little questions uh, handed over to us from our famous co-producer, Sharon, who was actually in Miami at this moment, but she made sure to text me all the questions that came in. So we're going to try to get as much as we can to you guys. Is there anything else I can help you with? Rock it to me, and we can have some fun. We got Miriam in Miami. Oh, a lot of people always ask about the calls and things along those natures. So if you want to reach out to us, 646-595-2892, 646-595-2892. We're going to try to take a couple of calls today. Hopefully we can get it through. Um, sometimes we have some server issues, and we have a whole lot of people in the queue. Sounds like I'm coming from London, right? But anyway, first question here we have uh, from Miriam in Miami. Right, Miriam, what's going on? I miss Miami. I used to live down there in Hollywood in the Broward County area. Ooh, it was hot and humid. And it reminded me back home in the old country, DRC Congo. Much love to all my Kinwa and my Congolese out there, my Zariwa. Her question is, and thank you, Miriam, for taking the time to write in, why did you produce the Congo movie? Straight to the point, right, Miriam? Right. Why did you produce the Congo movie? Why did I produce it? I felt I had to. Um, we got invaded, as you know, don't know, 96 by the Rwandans. Then we got invaded again, 98 by Rwanda and Uganda. And they came in slaughtering everybody. Um, we're not going to put the blame just on them. We're going to blame the Congolese like Ilunga and Delpochen and Wamba de Wamba to help them do it. That led to the, the, the I say, almost a genocidal holocaust, a uh, conflagration of the both. Uh, death toll established is 5.4, but they know they feel it's a lot higher. I thought I had to tell the story. Um, sometime in April came out, Hotel Rwanda came out, um, 100 was it a hundred days or shooting dogs came out as well? All these stories came out about the Rwandan genocide. And the thing about the Rwandan genocide is that you'll never find a Congolese that said they hope it happened. You know, we had love for the Rwandans. Rwandans had love for us back in the day under Harvey Amana, what have you. So, you know, excuse the sirens in the background. No, they're not chasing me, so don't worry. But when those narratives, when those films are coming out, especially Hotel Rwanda, you know, there was such inaccuracies in the movie it was just, uh, it was even not getting the migraine coming. But it created a byproduct of people thinking that the, 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 gen, the, hot, the genocide in Rwanda was totally perpetuated by um, the, the, the Hutus, the Rwandan Hutus, and that Kagame came in as a savior. And the more people saw these movies, um, the more people started to believe that. And it was getting really frustrating because, you know, there was no outright war against the Tutsis in Rwanda. Javier Mann was in power for 27 years. I mean, he had every opportunity to, to annihilate pretty much the, the entire the ethnic group, but he didn't do that. Um, there was an invasion from uh, Mosavani coming up from um, the north. No, it actually wasn't Mosavani. It was Kagame um, from the north with the help of uh, Mosavani. And um, they were closing in on Kigali, and Zairean um, special forces helped push them back. But when you look at the history of the region, um, there was no outright slaughter by Harabe Mana towards the Batuti, what have you. 
But what happened is that you'd see Kagami speaking every place. You'd see people speaking on panels. You'd see a lot of the survivors of the genocide telling everybody that was, you know, they were getting annihilated. The, the Hutus were killing everybody. And then from there, when they invaded our country, you know, in 96, the first time, um, under, the, uh, uh, under the guise of removing um, the Rwandans that fled to the Eastern Congo, Eastern Congo 94, um, and were committing border raids into Rwanda, it was just, it was the the destruction taking place in my country. I think was being lost, especially since it was being caused by a lot of people who were fighting on the pretext of we want to get the people that committed the genocide. So I decided to write the movie um, and say, look, I'm gonna tell the story of what I of what I know to happen in, in the Great Lakes region. Um, who who was involved? Didn't really change any name, um, and just said I just want to show what really happened in our country and let people know put the truth out there. You know, we, we, you know, we're getting annihilated in our country, particularly in the East, you know, and no one really seems to talk about it. But, you know, it was disheartening, Miriam, to see all these schools give Kagami an award here, Kagami an award there. The gentleman from Operation Hope, whose name is Casey at this moment, he met with Kagami and his family. And all these people are hailing this guy like he's the savior, but he's brought so much destruction to my country. So I want to show people what really happened as best as I could in our country. It's been a journey telling the story, but that's what, essentially what I want to do. Uh, I, I like to say it's factual events wrapped around fictional scenarios. But, you know, that's why I did a movie, because I had to. I had to show what was happening in our country and hope, prayfully, that will um, shed some light on the on the blinders that some people have had put on them if they haven't put on themselves. So I wanted to tell the story. So that was, not, that was the reason why I decided to do the movie. All right. Thanks for the question, Miriam. Hope you're doing well in Miami. I miss Miami. We have Stacy in Toronto. Stay see what's going on up there in T dot. Gotta get up there one day for carnival. Uh what her question is, and again, thank you for your questions. Her question is that what have been what ha, what have been what has been the most challenging yeah, what has been the most challenging in making the movie? Um and again, thank you for your question, Miss Stacy. The most challenging, um the length of time that it's taken to put it together because so many more people have died since I began to make this movie. One of the things I hope is that when the film comes out, maybe it'll have, hopefully it'll have some kind of effect on what's happening in the East with, you know, the FDLR, that's a bunch of college running around and people exploiting out there in the East. I'm still wondering what Ben Affleck's Eastern Congo initiative does out there. But the most challenging, I say I have to say is to tie between the length of time it took to put this film together because around 2001 to 2003, I actually wasn't even working on the film. I was, around 2000, 2003, I was doing a lot of advocating for my country. I literally stopped working on the film. In fact, I wasn't really doing anything creative on that time. I was mo- doing a lot of advocacy, Miss um, Stacy. I was doing a lot of uh, panels. I was doing a lot of um, events. I was doing a lot of shows. I believe I started my radio show right around that time. Well, actually, no, not around that time. That was until like 2008, something, what have you. But I took a break for like about four or five years, and I was just speaking, doing events. I was trying to do anything I could along with fellow Connolly to raise awareness. So when I took that break, um, I didn't really – I had the film in the back of my mind, but I didn't really work on it because I really wanted to raise awareness, you know, at no benefit to myself, but to the benefit of the country. So um, – the challenge has been the length of time put together with that break. And I'll say the other challenge has been, um, man, that's a good question. I'll say the other challenge has been 
um, quite a few people not really wanting the I just man, that's a good question, Stacy. Another challenge would be, I would say, um, people not really wanting the story to be told because it will undermine their careers. By that, I mean, um, you know, a lot of people have made their careers, Stacy, off what's happening in Congo. They built in Eastern Congo or in Congo overall. They built their careers over it. They built their resumes. They've made a lot of money off what's been happening there. And as long as the narrative is that, you know, you know we're a, a fifth world country that has nothing and we need saving and prayer and all that kind of stuff, whatever, the, 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 the killing, the, the slaughter, the enrichment of self will continue. And when I see people, you know, panels are nice and things like that, but oftentimes it's people who speak with passion, you know, oftentimes it's, their story becomes, it's like a coach coaching a team for 20 years and eventually you start tuning out the message. And the most challenging thing is, you know, people not really wanting the film to be completed. They've seen clips of it. They've heard me speak about it at different panels or shows, whatever. And they don't want the story to come out as it may impact their capacity to expand their career or make more money. Because when the sun goes down, it's my people dying. And I really want to do something to stop that. That's what I'm really concerned about. It's not about hating the Rwandans, the Tutsis, the Hutu, or the Twa, or anything like that. It's about showing a story. And it's been challenging, a little bit disheartening, seeing sometimes young Congolese who don't want the story to be told. They want their story to be told, you know, in terms of their narrative is, this is what's happening over there, and this is what needs to be done. But they don't do anything. I just want this film to inspire people to say, look, oh, my God, we had no idea. That's what's really been going down. Because, you know, we show quite a few things in the film including a couple of massacres and keys, you know. So that's been the most challenging. Uh, the length of time it's taken to put it all together and um, people really not trying to have the story told. Converse, I've had some good, you know, I've had much love from a lot of people who've helped out. If it's not through a donation, it's by being the film itself as actors or spreading the word. There was a brother in New York whose name escapes me. He was a too much friend, a commie uh, friend. He actually uh, was there when I screened it in New York. So, you know, that's been two of the most challenging things uh, in regards to putting this movie together. Man, that was, I appreciate it, Stacey. I really appreciate it. That really had me thinking there. Uh, again, thank you for your questions. Uh, we're going to Brian in Texas. He goes, what do you hope the film accomplishes? Brian in Texas, thank you for your email. I appreciate the questions here. I just want to raise awareness in my country. I want it to be a call to action. And I want, one thing I really like to see, I like for it to inspire other people to tell their stories. You know, sometimes we see these stories of, like, you know, child soldiers coming out of, you know, Africa, like Warwich and stuff like that. And we see these stories, and those stories are interesting, but, you know, that's not, you know, that's not the story. And I know a lot of friends from the continent. I know a lot of friends from South America. I know a lot of, I have a lot of friends from, you know, all over the place. And, you know, when I hear, when we have our conversations, like the, the, Armenian, the Armenian genocide, what have you, back in the early 1900s, if I recall correctly, I think it was 1914. It was in, yeah, I believe, I, I'm not writing I'm not my date here. Um, I, I just hope it says, hey, look, this guy is telling a story. We're going to tell a story. And a lot of people are telling their stories. They don't get the distribution I feel they should get. They don't get the awareness I think they should get. Yet, conversely, there, there are people out there telling their stories as, you know, the resources they have. And they're distributing it with the resources they have. So one of the things I would like to assume the conference is 
You know, people can, you know, look at the film and say, look, that's what they're doing to us in our, con- in our country. That's what you're not hearing. That's what you're not seeing. That's what they don't want you to find out. Even if it's a person that's Congolese speaking, they don't want you to know that. So not till we take care of some business, what have you. So that's what I would hope that, uh, one of the things that the film accomplishes. Um, so there you go, Brian in Texas. Thank you so much. Uh, Georgina in St. Louis. St. Louis. All right. She wants, um, how did you raise the money? Whew. Me. <laughs> uh, in the beginning of our first episode, um, we had a great brother, Jamaican brother up in, and I've been trying to find in Sacramento, Phil Nelson. When I met him at a panel I was speaking on at, at, uh, at Cal State Sacramento, I talked about the film, and we just were talking back and forth. He, he's a few of the retired fire captain up there, Jamaican, much love for the brother. He sent us um, um, a money order. I'm not going to say the amount, but he just sent us a money order, and it really moved me. You know, I mean, this guy just, I had just met him, you know. Um, Dr. Lorraine Thompson, she broke off some loot also as well, what's going on, pair of doctors. She broke, you know, broke off some money, and, you know, we hadn't even met. We were just talking on the phone and things like that, and she was giving me a lot of insight, a lot of conversation, a lot of good ideas, whatever. She broke off some loot. Um, Solange down there in Miami made a donation. And, you know, she didn't, you know, she was, I believe, yeah, she, I believe she made, yeah, Solange made, I believe Solange made a donation as well. You know, she was, you know, kicked in a couple of dollars, whatever. Um, I believe for some reason someone, oh, yeah, my friend down there in, in Atlanta, I think she said she didn't want her name mentioned, you know, because she just wants privacy or whatever. But, you know, someone could come up. But she kicked in, like, a, you know, a couple of dollars as well to help get the first episode made. Um, beyond, you know, so that was literally, and that was the episode we shot in 2007. You know, that we had edited, we'll probably re-edit it, do some color correction, but I said it still works with what I wanted to do. And, you know, that's how we, and I kicked, you know, I kicked like, you know, a couple of money, but that's pretty much how we raised the money for the first time, for the first episode. And we shot it out of sequence, um, but that's the first, it was the, you know, we shot the easiest thing to shoot at that time, but that's how we raised the money. Then after that, I paid for everything. We tried to kickstart a campaign. I think we got zero response. <laughs> We got like zero response. No one kicked in nothing. And but then I said, you know, if you want to do a project, you'll find a way to do it. You don't have to rely on other people to do it for you or anything like that. So, you know, I just thought using my own money. I would save money, shoot, save money, shoot, save money, shoot. Any place I worked at, I would always talk to them, hey, can I shoot something here? You know, they give me a, a, a lower price and that really helped as well. So essentially it's been myself. You know, that's led to the journey, but you know, I can do what I want, cast what I want, say what I want, and you know, that's pretty much how we raise the funds. You know, we again, now people have asked we're going to do a Kickstarter campaign or uh, Indiegogo. Like, well, the answer to that is no. You know, I just rather go. I'm, I'm going to start looking at uh, private ventures and sources because my attitude is that you know, a lot of people they go to those sites and those are cool. You see a lot of success stories, but they take a lot of work. You know, a lot of work. I'm writing and producing this thing and doing other things as well. I think I had direct, I had direct two episodes as well. You know, that's enough work as it is. And um, I just find that if I can just control the source of the of, of the financials of the project, then I can get this thing done. Of course, it takes a lot longer, but I'm very confident that, you know, more loot's going to come as we can finish this thing. But essentially, it's been after the first episode, and I'm so grateful to the folks that kicked in. You know, after that, it's been pretty much myself. So it's been a journey. Trust me, it's been a journey. But, uh, you know, it's been a journey. Uh, Lewis, thank you, Georgina, for your question. We have Lewis here from Kentucky. How did you cast the actors and where are they from? Hey, what's going on, Lewis? Hope all is going. I think it's Lewis and not Luis. 
Um, good, yeah. Um, they, oh my God. It was ironically, it was word of mouth. I think we we did some we posted someone L.A. casting. That's how B.B. Amos came across um, us, or my attention, and she played uh, Kita in the scene. Siaka Hardik, B.B.'s from Congo, fellow Congolais. Uh, B.B., uh, no, uh, Siaka is from Sierra Leone. He's a Salon. Holodama is Sierra Leone. He submitted there. And Abu, um, I don't think he submitted on L.A. Cast. I think I met him through somebody. But I think it might have been L.A. Casting as well. We met people there, and then from there was pretty much word of mouth. You know, I think Ben O'Chiang, uh, Abu is from Sierra Leone as well. Uh, ben O'Chiang is Kenyan. Ida is Kenyan. His beautiful, uh, Ben's beautiful wife is from Kenya as well. Um, Ida's a uh, great husband, and, you know, my younger brother is from, uh, you know, the East African, African as well. So it became word of mouth. We got Joram involved because Joram, no, no, no. We got Ben because Joram told me about a guy named, about Ben O'Chiang uh, or Benji Bendrix. This guy is a ridiculous musician, all right, really good. And Joan put me in touch with him, and that's pretty much how the whole cast came together as well. Uh, Christy, uh, we were, you know, we were dating at that time. We were, you know, uh, in a relationship at that time, and she wanted to get her acting. That's how we initially met, and she ended up playing one of the leads. So essentially it was through L.A. casting and then word of mouth, because oftentimes Africans know other Africans. There's not a lot of us in the game that are really doing stuff. I mean, there's a lot of us in the game, but, you know, quite a few aren't really doing anything. But the ones who are doing things, we all talk. So that's how I got the cast together. And it really helped because, you know, if I, you know, um, we have uh, Karada Mohuro from Kenya. You know, his, you know, the Swahili is fluent. You know, you know it, I wanted people that could speak the language as well. You know, if it's Lingala, Swahili, uh, Richard Jakaya, we got that crazy guy from Fitness Warrior, him as well. I believe, yeah, he submitted through um, LA Casting. You know, I remember when he and BB first met. Oh, my God. You know, Man, it was like, you know, he was playing your older brother. It was like they were really related. So also Jean Michel Richard and Ewing Chung, I met them when I first came to L.A. when they were auditioning for, uh, as roles in Iron Rain. And I remembered them, and, you know, I had just gotten here. Um, uh, Jean Michel, he just said Vincent, um, that the late great Leonard Nimoy was a part of as well. Uh, Jean Michel was the lead. Um, big loss with Leonard there, uh, right, with Leonard Nimoy. Um, he's from Paris. Um, you and I believe it's from, it's from Korea. I could be wrong, but I think he's from Korea. But they both speak fluent French, so it was kind of like that. They submitted as well. So it was through word of mouth, L.A. casting, and more word of mouth. And that's how we got a great cast. And I got to thank all of them out there, you know, who have just been really patient through this whole journey. Because we've worked on this since 2007. And we find, you know, uh, my man Kosimo out there, Mo, you know, he helped out as well. Uh, he edited two, three pieces. And, we shot at Ben's house, so that's how we got the cast, and through the cast we got some locations, and that's how it all came together. It was like serendipitous, right? It was cool. So there you go. So we have actors from Sierra Leone, Kenya, uh, Congo, uh, United States, France, um, oh, my God, Nigeria. We have from everywhere, right? So that's how it came together. Thanks for your question. Thanks for your question. Michael in Seattle, what film do you want to shoot next? Oh, my God. Uh, we've actually been shooting through Project Six. Um, uh, we've done the well. That's Border Clash is a fan film. Go online, put a Border Clash. It's a fan film it has to do with some DC Marvel characters versus my characters. Uh, we have another piece we just finished doing with Tim Russ, Emmy Award-winning director Tim Russ, called Running to Live, Living to Run. Uh, we did like the episode zero 
couple, and he's actually shot another show, episode for us in the Border Class series. We, sh- we just finished that a couple weeks ago. Um, that's a nice little side piece I want to do in Boston. Um, oh, my God. Jan uh, Vanderheck, I can never pronounce his last name, just finished shooting the first episode of uh, um, Pheromone. The, he shot the cigar. In fact, I have to go see the editing that they worked on today with Colton. And, you know, Colton's technical, so I know it's going to be some ridiculously technical tight cuts and stuff like that. Can't wait to see it. But, um, you know, one thing, I'm, there's a couple we've been working on. Um, you know, the Congo piece we're doing now is a mini-series. It's like a, uh, a five, six-piece episode. And then we'll do the feature next year. We have the Roman period piece that's set back in the day we're hoping to work on. We have Bean Police by Tope Oluwule. It's like a Blade Runner, Logan's Run type group. It's, it's really cool. It's really cool. It's one of the most challenging adaptations I've done. You know, it's taking a long time to do it, you know, with a surgery aside. So we're going to do that. And then I think the next thing we're actually going to probably do is the finish off the Pheromone series that we're going to shoot in Boston. So that's going to be kind of cool. That's what I want to work on next. That's what we've been leading up to right now. So that's what we're going to shoot next, and it's a journey. But right now I'm taking a break from a few things. You know, I want to take care of some people that invested back in the day, take care of some folks who um, I want to get some loot back to them from way back in the day. You know, they've, you know, it's really been a journey. So that's what we look to shoot on next. Prayfully, it'll be the Pheromone series, and I really would like to do um, the Roman period piece. But right now, it looks like it's going to be the Pheromone series going to finish, and we'll probably finish that in Boston uh, next fall. Uh, thank you for your question. I appreciate it. Uh, Mary in Chicago, how do you know if someone is truly passionate about their craft? Thank you, Ms. Mary in Chicago. I really appreciate the question, and thank you for taking the time to email in the first place. Um, you can tell when somebody is passionate about their craft that they're not doing it when someone hasn't hired them. Let me see if I can clarify that correctly. You want um, – people are passionate about their craft if they're doing it even though someone hasn't hired them. I think that's what I just said earlier. I'm on, I'm on paying medication. And by that, I mean uh, directors are always directing. If they have a cell phone, they're directing something. Writers are always writing. You know, I'm always writing. Writers are always writing. Actors are always acting. Their lights could be out. They have a candle. They have a candle light you know, in, the, in the middle of the room. They sit on the floor, and their phones will be turned off the next day, and they're trying to figure out how to get an audition – that's about four miles away, and, and their car is out of gas. But that person is sitting on the ground. They're doing their lines. People, even people that want to do MA, you know, MUA, make, makeup artists, stuff like that, I feel people that are passionate about their craft are doing it even though no one has hired them to do it. One well, thing I don't like about Hollywood is that there are so many people out here, and I don't know if it's like that in the East Coast. It's a little different. The vibe is a little different, but there's so many people who, unless somebody hires them, they don't work on their craft. Now, I'm telling you, I know folks that have cameras sitting in their house that want to be directors. They don't direct. It's, it's, it's really bizarre to me. You know, so if, if a person, my friend Sue Lee, who's a great artist, you can find her online, find, her on Facebook, find me on Facebook, she's a good friend of mine, S-U-E space L-I. She's an artist out here in L.A., and I met her when I was working at Coro. And I said, you know, what, she was, what do you want to do? She said, I want to do art. Well, go do your art. You know, we had our conversations, and she gave me a journal. She said she gave me a journal because she said every time she asked what I was doing, I was always writing. I'm always writing. I found my first script from 1985 in a box a couple of days ago. I, I almost wanted to cry when I saw it. And to see where I've come since then really moves me. But if someone's passionate, they're working on their passions without someone waiting for someone to hire them. That person will, is, is the get down. If you're around people, Mary. Right? If you're around people 
who are bitching, whining, and moaning about, oh, racism is keeping me out. I don't have enough money. I don't have the right connections. I don't have the right equipment. No, forget it. Don't deal with them because they will drag you down and they'll have you doubting your own craft. You don't want to do that, all right? You want to find people, people who are passionate about their craft are not just talking about They're doing it. They're cutting videos. They're uploading it. They're doing scenes. It's like Super 8, the movie that J.J. did, a couple, um, I think, two years back. You want to do films like you want, you want people who are working. It doesn't have to be in film. It could be in anything. They're always working on it, and they're not waiting for someone to tell them to do it. You find those people, they're passionate. You find folks who aren't doing it, and then you want to hire them. They want to say, well, you know, my rate is this. My rate. You have no rate. You ain't doing nothing. Well, you know, my box, you know, I, I should get this amount to shoot for one day. You're not even shooting. Forget it. All right? So that's how you know someone's passionate. They're doing their craft even though no one's hired them to do it. They're not waiting around for somebody to give them the permission to do their craft. All right? Thanks, thanks for the question, Mary, in Chicago. I appreciate it. Jesse in Atlanta. Any horror stories? Yes. Actors bailing out without telling me, which has held up scenes. Uh, crew that didn't know what they were doing. They thought that they, they were the producers, and that has held up our production. Um, People not being prepared when they come to a, to a set, you know, they start practicing their lines right there and then, which I found very fascinating. Um, yes, those three come to mind. Uh, the first one in particular, people just bailing. Let me tell you, you know, um, Victoria Rao wrote, a, wrote a, an article some time ago talking about, um, you know, the perils of the industry and all those kind of things. And I'm not going to speak to whatever scenario is. I understand what she's talking about. But the one thing I didn't like, or I, one thing I didn't notice, that she talked about all the industry stakes, uh, um, people who have a stake in the industry, writers, producers, and studios, and networks, and all that kind of stuff, but she never pointed to the actors. And I think I'm going to speak here for uh, every producer out there, and I'm going to say it twice. A lot of times, the reason why a lot of actors don't get where they want to go or get the opportunities they feel they should get or what have you or see the opportunities go past them and go on somebody else is because of them. It's not because of the producers. It's not because of the studio. It's not because of the industry. It's because of them. We all know the horror stories about producers, you know, breaking out with not paying nobody and locations not ready and DPs that aren't really DPs and, you know, oh, my God, I can go on the list. But for me, you know, when actors kind of like just blow you off and just leave the project and don't tell you until you call them and find where they're at, that's something that I think is an issue I already have a big issue with. And every producer out there can, can relate to that. I ain't talking about the producer that's trying to get, you know, try to get with people. I'm talking about people who are really taking all their resources to put their parts together. I mean, they're struggling. They're like, do I shoot this thing or do I eat tonight? I mean, there are people that are really getting down. There's one that can tell you that they've come across actors who felt like they should get more, like, you know, why should you get fired from the put of day? You're not doing anything. It's probably rent time if you're shooting on the 1st and the 15th. You know, that's why they ask for so much money. You know, DPs or just crew that want to come on board, they want to charge almost like $1,000. Well, you're a DP and you want to charge $800. You have no camera. You have nothing. And if you have a camera, you wouldn't get that kind of much, that kind of money. Oh, it's ridiculous. But that's some of the horror stories I can share with you. Um, when I do another, a part two of this, because um, I've been asked to do a part two, I can go really deep into it and stuff like that. But, oh, yeah, there's some horror stories. Any person out there doing film or, or on the entrepreneurial spirit can tell you there are horror stories out there. But mine has usually been with people just bailing out and not being serious. Another one would be people, um, you know, they badmouth you because it's taking longer than they expected. You know, people that criticize movies often have never produced one. So, when it's, you know, if it's not taking place, if it doesn't happen within over a month or two months, then things are not going to happen. 
So the horror story is that, well, you know, so-and-so, so you've been working with this for a long time. It's like, yeah, so what's the issue? So I just say, you know, hey, look, there's a lot of talent in L.A., a lot of talent that just wants the opportunity. And I feel with every horror story that appears, it's always the opportunity. Oh, before I forget, uh, director's bailing out. Oh, that's a good one. I've had a direction scenes because the director would bail out. And I don't mean, like, ahead of time. I mean, like, the day before, right? Uh, and you can usually see it coming. You can usually see it. When I look back, I can see the signs. Usually what happens, they'll give you, you know, hey, you're a great producer, you're a great writer. They'll buddy you up on all those kind of things, what have you, to get the invoice ready. That's a good idea to go and bail out on you, right? <laughs> so there you go. So those are some of my horror stories. When I do another show, we'll go deeper in that. But I hope I've given you some, some insight into the hustle, all right? Um, so Jesse in Atlanta, that's some of the horror stories I've had. Um, I remember a horror story a friend of mine's had. I don't know if it was Odero was doing this, his film. Um, oh, my God, he did his film with uh, Abu, and it escapes me. But he talked about how he shot on film, which some I want to do one day. He gave it to the, this PA, somebody to carry the film across the street. He, the, the PA or whoever it was in it, uh, opened the film casing, and I believe my man said he lost a couple of thousand dollars worth of footage. I think he wants to murder the PA. So those are some hard stories I can share with you. Um, another one is hiring crew, ready to shoot. Next thing you know, they're gone. And they're waiting for you to call them. Or they're just gone. And you're sitting there, you've, you're, everything crewed up, everything's ready, and now the DP's gone or the director's gone. And you have to talk to the cast and say, uh, and the other crew that's the below line say, um, L.A., we have a problem. <laughs> so that's all my questions. That's some of my uh, horror stories for you. Um, so let me go on to the next one here. But, Jesse, thanks for the question. Kevin in Jersey, he has a question is, uh, do you watch The Walking Dead? Uh, recently, yes. Uh, if so, who do you think, what do you think of the show? Um, you know, it's interesting. It's interesting. Um, it's a little inconsistent with the writing sometimes or the plot. Um, it's just, it's, it's interesting. I just, I'm interested, you know, it definitely is, it can be very addicting. I'm just interested who's going, who's going, you know, who's, who, you know, who's going to die and how and why. But, you know, I, I would like to pick up the comic books. I never really got a chance to, but I remember when they did first come out. But I would like to have the comic books. And I know the comic books inspire the show, but the show is not based on the comic books. So I just, I think it's an interesting show. I can see why a lot of people are into it. Um, particularly, you know, with who dies, who betrays, who gets sold out, or whatever. But sometimes, for me, just the writing is just a little inconsistent. Where I'm not going to go into details now, because I know some people haven't seen the show. But you know, so and so died uh, recently, but so and so was responsible for Tyrese and Beth to be killed. Okay, well, so what I'll just say anyway. You know, Noah got annihilated a couple of days ago, but Noah was responsible for Beth and Tyrese dying, and he also left Daryl and Carol. I never realized the names rhyme. For, for dead in the hospital. But yet Rick's group took him in like, oh, you know, they just took him in. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't get it. So sometimes it's just, inc- and plus Michonne's dreads throw me off because, you know, I know people with dreads, and sometimes when they swing around, they don't bend. They just swing like, a, like, a, like, 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 like they're, you know, frozen or something like that. So that's kind of hard to ignore when I have a lot of friends that wear locks. But, you know, it's just, the show is just the writing sometimes is just inconsistent, and um, hopefully the season finale tonight will cleanse a lot of the inconsistencies and get focused on whatever the mission is supposed to be. You know, I, I, one thing I don't like is that everybody's evil. It just shows a quick breakdown of society. And everybody's evil. There's no good people out there, and everybody's crazy. 
and all kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, whatever, man. So like, what happened to the military? I, I doubt the military, you know. I don't know. I'm, I'm going off a tangent. Let me stop. But I, what do I think of the show? I think it's kind of cool. You know, I'm interested, you know. I see your next question is who dies tonight. Um, you know, um, Sasha, Glenn, or one of the Anglos. Maybe the Latino girl, because I don't know why she's there with Abraham. But, yeah, so the show is interesting, but the writing is a little inconsistent for me, and it throws me off. And, you know, writers watch other – when you watch other shows, it's kind of into the writing. So, you know, I'm sure actors are the same thing, what have you. So uh, we have a few minutes left here. How much time do we have? A few more questions here. Uh, we have nine minutes left. You can get a couple more in here. Um, Mark in Boston, how do I determine if someone is cool to collaborate with? Um, I don't really collaborate with anybody. I've done it once. Um, it's been cool, and I've done it once again, and it has been so cool. Um, me and Howard collaborated on um, Grace Fallen Angel. Same an email. I've seen the book. It's a graphic novel we did online. It's actually kind of a motion. It's like an animated book. Um, I wrote that, gave it to him. I said, look, it's a 12-page script. Write what you want. You know, have, you know, add flavor to it. He did like 50 pages. I mean, he just went to t- he just realized that I, he just went to town with it. That was a great collaboration because we both come from comics. We both come from film. We both know old film. We both know foreign film. And, you know, we both have our own aesthetics, and it works well. We can talk and, you know, hey, what do you think about I mean, he's directed um, – he actually directed, I believe, the first two episodes. Yeah, he directed the first two episodes of Border Clash. And he, uh, so far, uh, Sean Carney did the third one. And with Tom Wood as a DP, that guy is insane. And Sean Carney as a choreographer and director, that guy is ridiculously good. Oh, my God. And his crew of Sarah, Jesse – um, oh my God, I'm, I'm, Anna and and how he hooked up Koya, the Fife and Tia and oh my God. But um, I regret, I regret. It was it's cool to collaborate with them, but I think the way it has to be what your gut says, man. Try something small, where you know, try something small and see how it works. You know, how's your conversation? How's your relationship? Business can end a relationship in a minute. But I think if the you know, go what your gut says, see what their vision is. If the vision, the vision doesn't have to be a clone of your vision, but if the same direction, I think that could be a good partnership. Again, I've only collaborated ever, twice, because I don't want to. I already know what I want to do. I know what I want to write, and I know how I want to look. If I hire a director to direct it, they already know my flavor. But I'm like, hey, look, add your seasoning to it. But I think to know what a collaborator is, you know, my, my insight on that would be, you know, what's their agenda? What's their vision? Are you going the same way? Um, do you both complement the story? If you have that, then I think that's a good idea. Uh, that's a good foundation to collaborate with somebody. Make sure you get everything in writing and make sure everything's clear and make sure you have an out in that contract. So there you go. <laughs> All right. Um, how much time do we have left? I don't think we have much time left. Do we have about six minutes left? I think we can get two more questions in. Hey, look, I'm only giving you all this advice overall with this hope, and I hope I'm helping somebody out there in that it's very difficult when you're an entrepreneur, filmmaker, whatever, to create something. Your friends will doubt you. Your family will doubt you. I mean, my family has been very supportive from day one. You know, they I can't articulate how much. Hey, I love y'all. You know, my family out there, the Binger clan, the Wakabonga clan, the Bingers. The thing is, you know, I just hope whatever I'm saying tonight inspires you to go make that vision true. Film's not easy. Sometimes, you know, people attempt to, people write what sells, people write what's popular, and you know, and that's fine, but if your heart's not in it, you're, you're challenged. Do I write what will help me pay the rent, or do I write what I believe in? You have to make that decision. But the thing is, if it's your vision, don't give up. Don't expect it to be overnight. Don't look at some other filmmaker and emulate them. Don't try to, you know, emulate their story. Everybody has their own story. You have your own story. So why would you want to emulate somebody else? 
Because what's going to happen when you hit that that wall of success, you know, it's going to happen for you. People are going to try to emulate you. But, you know, what Cuban did, what Zuckerberg did, what Prince did, everybody has their own path to where they go. Look at the arc of your life and look at the moments where you've done creative stuff or you've done something that was your idea. Now, some people aren't entrepreneurial. Some people just, you know, want to work with somebody else. That's fine. Whatever. It doesn't make a difference. You can grow within a company just easily. You know, that, that's your path. Fine. But yet to my filmmakers out there and my creators out there, my, my writers out there, if you have the vision, don't give up. Keep doing it. Don't go by what's popular now. Don't go by what everybody's talking about now. And also don't stick, don't label yourself. Don't say you're a black writer. Don't say, I mean, I understand what people do, but you're a writer. That's the thing I don't really like when people, you know, want to label you as something. You're a writer. If you've been a writer of any sex or, or ethnicity, I've always been, you're a writer. Don't label yourself and don't let other people label you. And if they do label you, ignore the label. Don't answer to the labels. You're a writer. You're a director. You're a makeup artist. You're an actress. You're an actor. You're, you're, a, you're a sound person. You're a DP. I mean, you're a director of photography. Go do it. If that's what you want to do, go do it. Meet people that want to do it and say, hey, look, I'm doing this. Let's get down. Let's put it in the writing. I'll do this part. I'll do this part. I'll do this part. And let's go do it and call it a day. Just do it. You know, I've, been to, I've met people who they have they just have their networking sessions so they can be popular and try to be some pseudo gatekeeper. I know people that have groups online that they just want to talk about their own projects and don't support anybody else. I know people that speak that do interviews and they don't they don't highlight anybody else. They just talk about themselves. I mean, it's your project, man. Go do it. You want to do it? Go do it. That just go do it. All right. But you have as uh, Brian Polito from Lady Death said back in the day. You have to decide when enough is enough, when it's time to quit and just move on to something else. Because if it, the mistake a lot of people do make is by staying with something that doesn't work. And once you do that, forget it. You know, If it doesn't work, find a different way. But be willing to sacrifice. It won't happen overnight. You know, it won't ha- Be willing to sacrifice. Sometimes it's, it really is mac and cheese. It's spaghetti sauce and, and macaroni. and It's just oatmeal. It's bread. It's bread, peanut butter. It's a struggle. And if you're in a relationship, and it's going, it will put a strain in your relationship and your friendships. But you know, those that will stick with you is like those. It's like those brothers in the hood from the days of, of hip hop, rap when it first came out. A lot of them married the people from around the way because they understood the struggle. They were like, okay, whatever, whatever, let's go do this. So that you know, so hopefully, what would, you know, what I would hope all y'all would take um, from this segment here, and we'll do another one. Getting like a lot of emails coming in, um, is just go do it. Go check out. Um, Tambe over there, on his he works. It's, oh, it escapes me. Shadows and acts. That guy's profiling films like it's no one's business. I mean, you know, he's just showing films. In fact, he was doing a competition last year. I hope it's still going on. He was profiling submissions and there's a cash prize, and he's doing stuff. He's talking about a lot of. I mean, a lot of films that a lot of people have never heard of. That includes mainstream. And he doesn't. He's not pigeonholed in any particular sector. He talks about all films. Called Shadows and that go Shadows and that go check it out. I think they're part of IndieFilm.com's um, organization. Yeah, Film Diversity over on Twitter. Go check them out. They're talking about a lot of good things, what have you. So the thing is, just there's resources out there to do what you want to do. You want to do it, go do it. But surround yourself, as my mentor Bill Wynn said and Steve Hughes said, rest in peace on that. Surround yourself with a team that's down no matter what. They're down for whatever. If you don't do this business thinking, don't mistake people people's love for your project as a love for you. They just love your project. Because let me tell you, for all you folks out there, particularly you producers who are doing your projects, you know, who's doing it for legitimate reasons, not trying to get with females or guys or whatever, you're going to mis- easily mistake people digging you, but they're really just digging your project. 
Because once the product's over, they don't know you. Until they call you and say, look, I'm trying to build my reel. Can you send me some footage? So you, have, you better get some real people around you who only care about you as an individual. They don't care if you're doing the film. And if they do, they're like, hey, how can I help you out? If not, okay, whatever, let's go hang out anyway. All right. So we got time for one last question here. Uh, whoo, man. <laughs> There's somebody here. I don't know. Look. We're going to have to talk about this. Uh, uh, we're going to do a part two maybe next weekend. Yeah, we'll do it next weekend, um, 4 o'clock. Um, we're running out of time here. I hope I gave you all some good knowledge out there in the game, some good knowledge of the hustle. Don't give up. Just do it. It's not easy, and it won't happen overnight. Overnights usually take about 15 to 20 years to happen. I'm telling you. Look at any success story, and you'll see it. Paul Mitchell, living in a car with $700 with the son, you know, from John Paul Mitchell. Look at his story. Go online. Look up the interviews. And my thing is to a lot of people want to produce or write, go rent those DVDs or Blu-rays, I'm sorry, Blu-rays, and listen to the commentaries from the directors, writers, actors. And you hear a lot of advice that's really going to help you, like Skyline, the first Underworld. There's a lot of resources. Go online. Check out the Producers Network. Check out the interviews behind the actors. Go check these things out. You want to do visual effects? Go. There's plenty of the making of and things like that. So it's out there. But, hey, our time's up, people. Sorry, you can't sit there being live and direct from Marina Del Rey. Go do your thing. Much love. Thanks for tuning in. I hope I inspired you. You're inspiring me in your own way. Believe me because you're taking the time to check me out. Go do what you got to do. Rule the world. Be that change you want to be. Make a difference and edify somebody. People of the world, I'm gone. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? 
they're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, only prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.